Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Scott Gould. Scott's an author and popular speaker who champions the cause of real engagement in a world where so much is only skin deep. As a management advisor, he's helped some of the biggest brands and oldest organizations get their customers, employees, and communities highly engaged around their mission. Scott, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I'm really excited about this conversation, and I'd love to just share with the listener how this call came about. On my other show, or one of my other shows, The Business of Authority, uh, the the host and I, the co-host and I, Rochelle Moulton, were talking about engagement and experience, and we're sort of throwing those words around in uh, what I would consider to be a generic sense. And, yep. and you know, I wanted to get a, an expert to come on and talk about exactly what is engagement, what is yes. experience, and, you know, you're the author of The Shape of Engagement, so <laughs> that's, yeah. it's... Uh, Hopefully I know a thing or two about it. Perfect person, right. So before we get into what engagement is, I'd love if you could share with the dear listener why they should care about engagement. So life is uh, uh, the way that we engage with stuff. Every day we're engaging with different things and we don't really think a lot about it but engagement is this idea of kind of focusing on something um, and so we're doing this all day um, now when it comes to our work and our business um, very often again we just go about doing it without actually taking a moment to think about how do people interact with me um, how do people feel about me and actually if we can understand that then we can use that to our advantage uh, and that's actually really really powerful and so the research around Harnessing engagement is that organizations and indeed individuals, even small companies that embrace principles around engagement generally seem to outperform um, others by a factor of three and a half times more. So 350 percent more. Um, so it shows the power of just kind of harnessing, I guess, the way that people build relationships anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. What can we talk about? What sort of stories could you tell to kind of give people a more concrete feeling of the sort of definition that you just provided? Sure. So um, I, I, I have the privilege of getting to speak all around the world uh, about engagement. And um, often when I begin, I put a slide up on the screen and it's got four pictures. Um, the first is um, a, a someone who's wearing an engagement ring. And I say, how many of you want this type of engagement? <laughs> and, you know, you get some... Some, some ladies put their hands up and I, I can always make a, a, a cheap wise crack at that. Um, then I have a picture of a face, of a Facebook thumb up and I say, how many of you want that type of engagement? And it's funny because very, again, very few hands go up. And so I immediately I note it and I go, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then I have a picture of, of a toilet cubicle that's being used. And of course, the sign that sometimes reads, uh, by the handle is engaged. <laughs> So then I'll say, how many want that type of engagement? And again, the, there's always one guy who always puts his hand up. There'll always be one guy. And I'll always say, <laughs> there's always one guy. And I pick on him throughout the rest of the talk. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. And then I have a picture of Star Wars fans because I, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. And so you've got people watching, yeah, a midnight screening of, um, I think it was The Force Awakens. They're dressed to the nines. They're dressed up as these characters. And I say, who wants that type of engagement? And everyone's hands go up in the room. And it demonstrates the problem with the word, well, not the problem, but just the reality with the word engagement is it means so many different things. And this isn't, this isn't bad, this isn't wrong, but it becomes an issue when we actually use that word an awful lot within business in a range of contexts, once again, 
And so even though it's something that we kind of know is important, we don't often know what we're actually talking about. And therefore, we've got no ability to strategically use it to our advantage. And if harnessing engagement, whatever on earth that is, can get me 350% uh, you know, against my competitors, it kind of would help to know what that is. Uh, so that's what I spend my time doing. Yeah, I love this. I have a, a big sort of soapbox that I often climb on about the definition of words and, and people throwing around words that in general use are are fine to be more or less synonymous, things like value, cost, and price, or... I was about to say that. Yeah, that's the big one for me. Strategy and tactics is another big one for me that I need to slow people down. And when I'm getting interviewed, I'll politely, you know, when someone uses, you know, in a specific context, when you're talking specifically about the thing, it becomes really confusing if you don't take a step back to kind of say, well, you know, Billing and pricing are two different things. A lot of people will say value billing. I used to make that mistake when I first started. It's like, and it's an oxymoron. It doesn't even make sense, but it's very common for people to do it. And in, in fact, one, <laughs> this is sort of a random story, but I, I uh, once worked for a client who was in the cruise industry and the first, our first meeting was on a massive cruise ship, the largest cruise ship in the world at the time. That's and cool. it was really cool. Yeah. And we, we get there and, you know, I get, get to the airport or whatever. And I was like, well, how long will it take to get to the boat? And there's sort of a long pause. And the guy says, the boat is what we'll get on if the ship sinks. Wow. And yeah, yeah it was sort of a, <laughs> yeah. it's very common for, it was a, a, a common joke in the industry because, you know, normos, the average public will call a cruise ship a boat. And it's to people who live on one, it's not a boat, it's a ship. So it, yeah. and it becomes important. And now I am hypersensitive to that. Uh, so, you know, just a little anecdote on the side. I think it's critically important to, to find terms when we're having conversations like these. So I appreciate you doing that. Oh, and, um, and please, I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a grammar Nazi with this, right? I'm not someone who's anal about whether someone's using the word engagement in the right way or not. Mm -hmm. But like you say, when it comes to wanting to reverse engineer some of these very powerful psychological things that are buried within us, we have to begin to use more accurate language and know what we mean by engagement and what we don't mean by engagement. A click is definitely not engagement. It might be a sign of it, but um, technically I like to consider that to be an interaction, right? Engagement is a bigger psychological state than whether somebody clicked on a link or not. Right. Okay. It's the kind of thing that would get someone to, you know, cosplay your movie and, you know, wait in line outside the, outside the theater on opening night. Yeah. And, yeah. and just really mm, I, now see, now that we're talking about like the semantics, I'm like, it, does that mean they're bought in? Does that mean that, I mean, you're almost creating, you've created a community basically seems to me. Yeah. Well, so a lot of these concepts do merge into each other. So when we think of people who are highly engaged in something, we will think of community, we'll think of ownership, we'll think of being bought in, we'll think of skin in the game. There's all these great little phrases that we use colloquially to describe people who are, who are that invested. Mm -hmm. um, but engagement does also mean lower things. So technically speaking, there are three types of engagement. Um, engagement is a psychological state. Uh, the first type of engagement is when you are mentally engaged with something. Um, so this is like you hear a bit of music and you listen to it rather than not listening to it. Um, you know, so you're driving your car, you hear a bit of music and you don't switch the radio, but you actually listen to it. Heck, 
maybe you even hum to it, right? <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah. So, so that, that would be the lowest level of engagement. And admittedly, someone click, you know, when Facebook tells you how much reach a post has had versus how much engagement a post has had on a, on a basic semantic level, I think it's fine to say, sure, okay, I had that much engagement. But the thing is, engagement doesn't end there. It goes a bit further. The next level or subtype, subtype of engagement is uh, when engagement becomes physical, which is we do something. So very often, uh, something mentally engages us. There's a call to action. I mean, I can just think of your email that I received this morning, right? At the end of it, you've got four calls to action. You've got four different things that might be of interest to me. So you engage me mentally. Now you're looking to engage me physically by getting me to click and actually engage with one of your products, right, in, in, in a physical manner. Uh, or in an encounter. Um, and this is when somebody engages in in something in a more physical, active sense. So let's say you heard the song on the radio. Now what you might do is buy the CD, or you might even go and see the band live when they come to town. But then there's this third subtype of engagement, and this is what all the fuss is about, is when it's not just mental and it's not just physical, but it's and it's not even emotional because emotion is running through this all the time anyway. It's what we call affectional, um, the word affective, which means you have strong emotional bonds towards something. It's not just an emotion. It's a very strong emotional bond. And this is when it's not just a song on the radio. It's not just the, the CD that you buy or the band that you see live. It's the song that you have your first dance to at your wedding. It's the song that you want played at your funeral. It's the song that when you hear it come on the radio, you cannot help but stop what you're doing and dance to it. It's the song that when life sucks and things are hard and you're down, you hum the words to yourself, right? You, you go over them again. It's that, and that's that highest level of engagement. Uh, and so you can see how engagement's this idea of focus. It's just where is the focus? Is the focus on something in my mind, kind of temporarily? Is it something that I'm focused on physically, again, kind of temporarily, or is it something that I'm uh, engaged with and focused on in this kind of deep level of affectation and deep emotion on a far longer continual basis? And so, um, you know, we talk about Star Wars. Um, when Star Wars comes on, you know, when it's at the cinema, I will go and see, I'll go and take my kids to see it at the movie theater. Um, and that's a physical thing, but my main level of engagement with it is that deeper affectional thing right where it's just there's a bond that i have with it that nothing is ever going to break right it almost becomes part of your identity well yeah so now yeah those things and anyone listening can think of what those things are for them i mean i know that you do karate right mm -hmm. so you'll yeah. be thinking about that that for you would be on, on a similar level it becomes part of your identity it gives you a lot of meaning for your life um, it actually begins to shape your life uh, and so these things that we think about, I mean, in fact, knowing that many people here will be developers, even their code and the things that they develop, they'll have that high sense of engagement around. Maybe the people who just love WordPress or maybe the people that um, can't stand it, but they love the other thing that they're into. Right. So mm -hmm. imagine if someone felt that way about you. Right. And who wouldn't want that? But how do we get there? Like yeah, that's, that's the obvious question. Right. Like I, I can imagine the you can sort of imagine ways to get to the the early stages you know it's maybe it, those are a lot more obvious to me at least perhaps not everyone but it's sort of like well i mean i'm not going to put words in your mouth so like how do people kind of walk up those stages where do you start uh, so a great place to start of course is the beginning um which <laughs> is you know w w with your message 
um, and what what are you communicating? So generally, the first kind of subtype of engagement, um, and I call this engagement as expression, right? Because it's, it's engagement around something that's being expressed. Uh, generally, that's around a message. And so the first question to ask yourself is, do I communicate something that people can even engage with, right? I mean, you and I are engaging with each other right now as a result of our our communication, as a result of us expressing things to each other. Mm-hmm. And so quite simply, if you're not expressing something, if you're not saying something, if you're not communicating, people can't mentally engage with that at the lowest level. So right, there's you, nothing to nothing to uh, react to, nothing to connect with. Well, yeah, it's actually communication theory states that there must be stimulus before there's response. So there has to be a stimulus. If you want someone to engage with anything, there has to be a stimulus. This is just life. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense, but it's worth putting, it's worth saying because the, I I have this experience, it doesn't matter how conscious I am of this experience, it continues to trip me up that you just feel like everything that's in your head is in everybody else's head that you talk to. Yeah, that's it, that's it. It's the weirdest thing. I know it, I'm conscious of it. I, you know, I'll be talking to someone who's thinking about joining my coaching program and it just feels like, like, do I really have to explain what it's like? I mean, I, it's so clear to me, something that's so clear to me feels so weird to explain to someone else, but they're completely in the dark. Yeah. And it's easy to imagine that, that people will be perhaps really worked up about their, personal mission or this message they have and they're doing all this work but it's it's not either they're not sharing it at all or they're sharing it in a way that no one's really seeing it so you know if a tree falls in the woods right (laughs) no one's around to hear it does it fall yeah i mean derek sivers who's a a famous uh, kind of popular um internet figure Mm -hmm. he he said something really great some years ago that impacted me he said that what's obvious to you is awesome to someone else. Yeah, it's true. And it, it's really handy to remember. And actually, the thing about great educators is they teach the stuff that's, they teach the stuff that's obvious. Um, so someone who's in our co- kind of community is this guy called um, Reuven who does Trainer Weekly. Mm-hmm. And um, in it, he, one of the things that he says is, he says, what exercises should you do when you're training people? He says it's the ones that you would assume you shouldn't do because you think they're so obvious. And so often I find the most powerful thing, the most impactful thing that I can do for someone as an educator of some kind is to actually do the thing that I assume and everyone assumes is obvious. Um, and at, what's great about your writing, um, and I'm not saying this just to fluff you up on the show, I really do appreciate it. It's fine, you can fluff me up. <laughs> oh, okay, okay well, sure, well, here, here we go. Um, is, is, is I just love the way that you, you come at the same issue day in, day out from different angles. Sometimes it's really obvious, sometimes it's a bit more advanced, but, but you never get too advanced, and then without coming back to some of the basics and going over them again. And I keep on thinking to myself, because you know, I like to kind of have a clean inbox, I think, Scott, have I not, have I not read enough of Jonathan's stuff now to get it? <laughs> but, but actually, I need those reminders. So even if someone knows what you're about, you still need to remind them anyway, because the reality of life is it's busy, people are doing things, they're, they're not going to remember you, they're going to forget you. And so the most important thing about that first stage of engagement, really it rests upon the consistency of your communication. I wouldn't even necessarily say it rests on your communication being that creative, although that helps. And it doesn't necessarily rest on your communication being terribly clear, because if you're consistent, clarity will come because you're just, you're practicing, you're doing it, right? And you'll just, you'll figure it out as you go. So the the thing that stops most people from getting any engagement is they fall at the first block. They just don't even begin talking. 
Mm-hmm. They, they don't even begin communicating. And I think, yeah, we need to listen, but we listen in tandem with talking. Um, that's the that's the art of conversation. It's speaking and listening. And you can begin to listen when you begin to say something and then you see what people say in response. And if someone says nothing, well, that actually is a response because then you go, okay, that didn't really hit home. How can I say this a bit differently next time and see if that makes a difference? Um, so it's even listening to the silence if necessary. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I, I exactly what you said. I talk about the same thing day in and day out from every angle I can possibly think of because because I'm looking for that light bulb moment and it's going to take a different type of story to turn that light bulb on for different kinds of people because they're all starting from a different place. They have a different experience. Some of them have been running firms for over a decade. Others are thinking about going solo and jumping ship from their day job. So it's just completely different starting places along that spectrum. So when I actually talk about this stuff, I, I have, I talk about the, I tend to talk less about the types of engagement. I tend to talk more about the processes behind engagement. So I talk about these three buzzwords and I, I'm not, I've not wanted to mention them until now because I'm aware that they're so buzzwordy. It's almost <laughs> terrible. Um, but some kind of like my formula for engagement is what I call scatter, gather, matter. Right? Yes. I like this That's, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Scatter, gather, matter. And so scatter, um, the first stage of engagement is what people mentally interact with. Right. And so you've got to scatter something for them to interact with. But the reason why I say scatter is, as you've just said, people who are listening even to this now are listening to this in a range of scenarios that we can't even predict. Like you and I will be able to guess a lot of what people will get out of this and we'll be able to guess a lot of the listeners, but there will always be some that we could not have predicted, um, people that you don't know where they are. And so you've got to just scatter your communication because part of life is you just don't know. We would like to think that we're able to predict stuff, but we've all had those times when someone that we thought was a shoe in to buy a bit of business from us didn't, and then someone out of nowhere comes in and becomes the big ticket item that we were never expecting. And that's just the reality of life. So you've got to scatter your message. That's, that's what I say, right, essentially, is scatter your message. And the thing that makes you win there is just consistently doing it. You don't need to be creative. You don't need to be clever. You don't need to be clear. Just scatter your message, and you'll begin to find out what resonates and what doesn't. Like Seth Goodman said, just show up. Show up every day. Well, yeah, and I mean, here's a guy who writes every day and who's published seven, th- you know, seven thousand days in a row. That that's that's a heck of a lot. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, it's it's really powerful, and I I love I especially love your point about doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be amazing, doesn't have to be creative. It needs to be a stimulus. Yes, I think most people that would be listening to this and are not getting engagement, the problem will be you just haven't even started scattering the message out because you're afraid. And I get it. I'm a perfectionist. Like I move so darn slowly, but you just got to do it. And it's just start saying your thing, start doing your thing. And over time you'll get better at it. So, okay. So that's the sort of the scatter phase. So you're, you're getting your message out there and you're getting uh, some feedback. You're finding out what resonates. So what's the uh, next level? Yeah. Well, if we think about a, a farmer, for instance, who's chucking out some seed into a field, um, you know, you throw out the seed and Time does its magic. Um, time is a massive part of farming. But eventually what happens is that, you know, you get a crop that begins to grow. And so the next stage of engagement is, is gathering people. Um, it's, it's, it's that moment where you go into the field and you take your, you know, you take your scythe and you begin to harvest the grain. You harvest the result that you've got. Um, 
And and this is um, this relates to that kind of idea of the second level of that physical engagement that we were talking about, because when people respond to you and you are kind of there accepting their response, that creates an encounter, that creates a moment, that creates a, a thing. Uh, and so much of what we do online is so easy for it to be intangible and to be kind of ethereal and all in all potential. And, and but when we actually do something and we gather people to us, whether it's listening to this podcast, which you're producing, or it's attending a webinar, or it's downloading the app, but it's that it's when something actually now becomes tangible. Right? <laughs> so that that is that's the key thing that we're looking for here. Um, and this is this is really where the phenomena around experience design happens. Um, so a lot of people are talking about experience. Uh, there's different thoughts on what experience is. So there are kind of generally two schools. One talks about kind of experience design being an economic offering. That would be like Joe Pine and those guys. Mm-hmm. Others talk about experience being more about the way that things work, which is more about service design, but it's kind of got this elevated name of experience. Regardless of the way you view this, what we're getting at here with the word experience or words like encounter or response or gathering is this is a coming together. This is a moment of interaction, of face-to-face, physical, or at least a tangible digital moment in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, again, to fluff you up, but a great, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a great way that you do this is people are listening to this right now, right? This is not, you know, this is a, mo- this is a gathering moment. It'd be easy for your website to say you do all of these things, but here we are on the podcast. People are listening. They're listening to me. They're listening to you. We're gathering, gathering together. Um, it actually takes a bit of work to create that gathering moment. Mm-hmm. I do want to make sure that that this sort of process and theory is tracking with people who might be listening, and I don't want to lose them. So, can we categorize a couple of things like quickly? Yep. Do you think we could try? And I know it's not black and white, but just to give people a feel for it. So, if I, you know, I'm sending out, let's say I, I, you know, I'm publishing these podcasts. I would, I would have lumped this into a scatter phase because. There's no, I don't know who listens to, I have really no idea who listens to it. There's not like a sign up or something like that. You just sort of anonymously subscribe in your phone. It's podcasts are free. Um, there's no, I mean, certainly someone has taken action by subscribing and listening. Uh, so that's, I, I wouldn't honestly, and I imagine some listeners are thinking the same thing. Like I, I wouldn't know where to p- put these, if these things are a process and they need to go in an order, I don't know where that would fall. Or something like, um, you know, if, if someone is sharing YouTube videos every day, does that, do you feel like that falls into the scatter phase or in the gather phase, are we talking about things like, I don't want to sound, sound like transactional, but a transaction happens. So I think, I think you're really touching on a, on, on a, on great stuff. It lets me know that, yeah, okay, we're, we're thinking about this properly, which I like. Uh, so yeah. I agree with you from your perspective. A lot of this stuff is creating content and scattering it out there. And you don't, you don't quite know who is receiving it and who isn't, who's not listening and who is. But at the same time, um, it creates a channel for people to come closer to you. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of, that's the gathering idea I'm getting to is people are getting to move closer to you through this. That, and that does happen. And people tell me, people who have ultimately do end up no longer anonymous and perhaps even students will tell me that the, that that is the effect that, that the podcast in particular has the mailing list, of the podcast in particular builds a enormous amount of trust and it draws people 
uh, I don't want to say, I, I, I don't like the feeling of feeling like I'm drawing up sucking people in. It's more like they, it's a great way to determine whether or not you click with someone by listening to them talk. It's like an amazingly high amount of information that you're sending across. So you tell, you're, you're, you're sharing a lot of yourself. It's kind of an intimate, it's one way, but it's kind of an intimate way to transmit information. And yeah, it's very powerful. Well, one of the ways that you use it as a gathering tool is you invite individuals onto it. Sometimes they're from your community, but for instance, me. Another gathering mechanism that you use a lot in your newsletter is you refer to different readers who asked questions or made points or replied to you. Okay, now I see. Okay, now I get it. Yep. And so, so um, years. I mean, I, I've got this great point now, which I must confess comes from Seth Godin. Um, so he wrote a book called Tribes mm-hmm. years ago, right? And he said that the strength of a tribe is based upon the frequency of the communication between the tribe leader, but also with the fellow tribe members. Uh, and what you do when you um, talk about other people in your newsletter, and and you always put with permission, which is very good because again, it's displaying the sense of confidence and integrity and trust. That even though I would never assume that it wouldn't be without permission, you're just saying it, and it's a nice little nudge to your character. But what you're doing is you are gathering me and those people around you and to each other. Now I don't always remember who they are, but sometimes I recognize their name. Um, at the very least, it makes me, and I imagine many people who read your newsletter would say the same thing, is we feel like we're part of some kind of journey together. Um, and that now is this idea of gathering, right? We are social creatures. Um, and so there's a sense now of following Jonathan is I'm kind of part of this group. Now, I, I wouldn't necessarily say we're a tribe um, because we're not, we don't interact with each other that much. And so that would perhaps would be the people in your mentoring group on your Slack channel, things like that. Perhaps that's more what they would describe. But you do have these kind of gathering mechanisms. So if we think about um, people here who are trying to build a sense of followership online, right? A great way of doing this is just beginning to tag people in posts, introducing people to each other, showing that when someone responds to you um, or you seek to involve them, there's lots of people here that you're gathering together. This isn't just you and this, you know, ethereal crowd that you like to say is hundreds or thousands of people, but actually it might just be, you know, your aunt and your mother, (laughs) Uh, right? You know, this, this is actually real. It's legit. And there's this kind of secret power to involving people because when people are involved in something, they've now got skin in the game. They want to invite others to see them. So after, after this is published, you can bet darn well that I'm going to be sharing this episode, right? Because I'm in it. Right. And so now this is one of the ways that you will increase your, and I mean, all podcast people know this, and anyone who's a vlogger or whatever knows this, the way to increase your following is you you peer on each other's shows and you begin to trade audiences and you show that you're part of this kind of bigger thing. Right, absolutely. Man, you're really, dis- I mean, I've been I've been emailing daily and, and you've done a great job like kind of explaining to me what I'm doing. Because I I feel all the things that you're saying. Like I used to do, um, and I only describe this because I think it might help people who are trying to figure this out. I used to do static campaigns with my mailing list. It was it was daily for a little while, but not everybody was getting the same email every day. They would join a sequence, yeah, and everybody was getting different emails at every at different times, and that felt awful to me because it didn't. I didn't know where anybody was. It was just this bunch of 
email addresses, like impersonal sort of email addresses, I couldn't have a conversation with, I could have a million individual conversations, but I couldn't have one big conversation with the whole group. So I stopped doing it. And now they're just, they're like live. Like if you sign up, you're going to get today's email and everybody else is getting the same email. And yeah. it, when I made that switch, it felt like community. It felt like uh, it, it all of a sudden started to feel like com- community, even though to your point, there's not a good way for the, for the people on the mailing list to interact directly. But I do try to, you know, like you pointed out, I do like, I try to bring people into it and, and demonstrate through my actions that I do, res- you know, I do read them all. I do respond to people. I do ask for permission to share. So if you don't, you don't have to worry about emailing me. I'm not going to share it unless I ask. That's basically the, so I get a lot of, I get tons of emails that I don't share. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah. And, and again, all of these things, I mean, particularly for someone who wants, who, you know, who is a thought leader, that that's part of your marketing approach, that that's what you're wanting to be. It works for you. But let's say we were to think about someone who's listening to this, who doesn't necessarily want to be this kind of thought leader, doesn't want to invest lots of energy into that because it is work, but does want to increase engagement with those that are interacting with them. The, the trick here is to think about how do people get to tangibly experience you, right? This is now the kind of the gathering thing. And also how do people become aware of at the least that there are other people that engage with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a great way that Apple did this was when they released the iPod back in 2001, they released it with white headphones because then people could see. Um, whenever someone is wearing the sports team top of your team and you see them, you stop and you talk to them or at the very least you go, you know what? I like them. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in the UK and um, whenever I see anybody wearing, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, have been for 15 years. So I'm a very happy chappy at the moment. Right. <laughs> so if ever I see anybody wearing Golden State stuff in the UK, which is rare, I'm like, oh, man, yes. Talk to. And then, of course, normally it turns out they have no idea what they're wearing anyway. Um, <laughs> but but so it's it's the sense of gathering is is understanding that we as humans like to gather and that when we gather it's a social thing that's part of our evolutionary makeup and identity is an important part of that a sense of you know or, or shared aspiration is part of that so even something as simple as um let, you know you know let's say you're even running a modest practice you've got half a dozen clients on the books that you service every year even just taking the act of introducing them to each other Right. Um, begins to strengthen the physical experience that people have of you. Mm-hmm. Right. Because now it's that little bit more social. Um, and of course, I understand that, you know, this kind of thing around developers perhaps not being wanting to do the human interaction as much, which I don't really subscribe to because um, I, I think that it's just a case of how you want to do it. Right. right. Um, I agree but, with that. Yeah. And, and, and so even just thinking about, okay, how do I just go a little bit further and distinguish myself by allowing people just to get to experience me that bit more, right? There are so many web shops where you go on their site and, you know, they all look the same that, you know, and, but how do you make, how do you put just make it that little bit more of an individual experience? You know, maybe you could just put a video on you on there or a face of you. I mean, the number, number of websites that I see that say, we're designing this, we're building this, and there's no human face to be found. Right. Even showing that there's a human behind this, right? You don't even, you could be like Daft Punk if you want and wear a Darth Vader mask, but, <laughs> or like you wear a, an astronaut helmet or whatever, but yeah. just something that says, you know, I'm a person is even in a small way creating 
more tangible experience for people to have of you. And that really does matter in terms of engagement and capturing engagement. Um, now, if you don't want to capture engagement, that's fine. But if you want to do that, you've kind of got to be ready to go a little bit down that human route um, in your way, though, right? In the way that mm -hmm. makes sense for you. Right. So I'm um, got uh, a million words popping into my head now. So um, one thing I want to quickly point out, because you just covered a ton of great stuff, was now all of a sudden, I you know, I think, I think like, oh, well, I listen to like three or four podcasts that I don't miss an episode. I love, you know, mm -hmm. and they're not tech like my bim bam and lore and, you know, those sorts of things. They're basically entertainment and, and, and others, but, um, they make a big deal about going around and doing live shows and. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that is, that is, you know, an example of taking it to the next level. I don't know if I could do that. That's pretty intense, but, uh, it, even though I've never gone to one of those shows, they will record them and release them and you can hear them. And it makes me feel like I'm there or makes me feel like I'm part of that group or in that community in a way, even though I wasn't there, you know, yeah. I'm a fan too. Wow. Listen to all those other fans. And then they have the fans come up and ask questions so I can hear the voices of other fans. I'd never thought about it consciously, but until now, but it's, it's giant for, for sort of cementing my connection to, these shows yeah and psychologically it taps into um this this kind of principle of influence that robert cialdini um kind of enshrined as social proof the idea of norms which is we tend to follow the crowd so when we know that others are engaged with it it serves to validate us being engaged with right, it. right right one of the ways that's really powerful is is the identity thing so if i give an example um some years ago i took up climbing um, so I started climbing and, um, I, you know, kind of got some of the kit and started doing it. I went once a week and for a long time I said, oh, I, I like to climb or I go climbing. Mm -hmm. But then there was this day where my language changed and I no longer said I'm someone who likes to climb. I said, I am a climber. Yeah. And that isn't the highest level of engagement. Actually, this is still the middle stage. What they're saying is I identify with this on a social level. Um, to the point that I'm willing to say I'm one of those. Now, we, we you know, followers of you, Jonathan, aren't stalkers. Although that, um, so we, we don't necessarily have the right language for it. We don't have a word to use. Um, but we are still people that are, we, I, I think we identify with you. We identify with the message. Um, and particularly when you have, when you feature us or some, I mean, you know, I think you've mentioned me once or twice. That little thing, of course, engages me that bit more. It makes me go from someone who's just following you to someone who actually kind of connects with you. Um, and, and again, that's really, really powerful. So something that I do is when I write, and I mean, I'm very infrequent when I do it, but I always just say, hello, friends, mm -hmm. because that's part of my thing is I've got this group of friends. And that's a perfectly legitimate, honest, integral statement that comes from me right now. For someone else, they couldn't do that. But for me, that's one of the ways that I do it is I just see everybody as a friend. And so I just say, hello, friends. And, mm -hmm. um, and when I introduce people, I say, oh, this so-and-so, you two are both my friends. I want to introduce you. And that's the way that I go about doing it, right? Yeah, that's great. Yep. Well, another one of the words that was popping around in my head was um, authenticity. And mm -hmm. you kind of, I, I feel like you're sort of talking, that's a little bit of the subject of what you're talking about there. And I think of, like, my sign-off on my email is yours. Yes. You know, like, yeah. sincerely, it, yours. This is for you, you know. Uh, I've never even seen it that way before, actually. And that's how I feel about it. It's like at your service, kind of. 
That's and, really cool because I've just seen it as, as, as rather than saying yours sincerely or yours faithfully, I'm just going to go for the concise version, which is mm, yours. Yeah, I, I see it as a service and that's how I feel. Um, and, but then you get someone like Kai Davis, who we are both friends with, and he, I wish I, I, like I see his writing and I'm like, I wish I could, I wish I could write, I could write like him, but it wouldn't be authentic. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he chooses words that, that are just so great and warm and, uh, his word choice and, and exuberance and emojis and everything. It's, just, it's like, oh, you just, he's like a teddy bear. You just want to hug him. And I'm like, oh, I should write like that because that would be a great, but it's not me. It's just not me. Yeah. And it yeah. is him. You know, we've met that, that is really him. And he yeah. can, he can, you know, he can pull it off. But that's the way he is. And he's just being himself. I think it is all too tempting, um, to want to copy others' tactics. Mm hmm down to the point of, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it line for line and it's just, people can smell in inauthenticity. Um, and it just, you know, you lose your passion. You don't feel right about it. And actually just being you, people like that. Um, and people don't actually need, really need to be amazed either, unless you are the type of person that just loves to amaze. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's easy in the sense that you just, just be normal, but it's surprisingly hard to just be normal when you feel like you're kind of putting yourself on a stage in a sense. Yeah. Well, actually, I could recommend a resource here. Um, there's this very, very good um, personality assessment um, called How to Fascinate. So it's howtofascinate.com. And the creator of it, a woman called Sally Hogshead, um, has come up with 49 different personality um, kind of fascination types. And so what it does is it tells you what your type is um, and what fa- what gets people fascinated about you the most. Hmm. Right. Uh, and it's just really helpful because it just helps you own who you are that little bit more. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what you're going to do. Just own who you are. And there's enough, you know, there's enough, there's enough to go around. Right. <laughs> right. All right. So, so we, I know we've talked about scatter. We've talked about gather. Can we drill into matter? Yeah. Well, I mean, I love this word even just matter. You know, what is it to matter to something? I, we spoke earlier about these kind of three subtypes of engagement and at the highest level, you know, I gave the example of those, those songs that really resonate with you, that they go deep into you. Mm-hmm. Um, or we talked about, you know, Star Wars and the way that, I mean, I've just finished watching, we watched the originals and I've just finished watching the prequels with my kids, you know, and again, the way that Star Wars has become part of our, the fabric of our family. This is a highly engaging thing. It really matters to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we would not willingly put this down. Um, so Gallup, uh, who, you know, you, we probably all know that kind of great analyst, um, uh, and one of the leading analysts in the world, they came up, um, with over 10 years ago, a set of questions to determine the state of customer engagement. And one of them was, um, customer is unwilling to do without X brand, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about here is people at this level, they are unwilling to do without your brand, your thing. I can't imagine a world without Apple, right? That's, that's, right. you know, I would be unwilling to, I just don't even, I don't even look at PC stuff. Mm-hmm. I, if it's tech, I'm just not even looking at anything other than Apple, right? That's how engaged I am. And I have been for like 20 years. So the highest level of engagement is quite simply, how do you matter to people? And we talked about this being, I can, I use this word of, um, effective, um, with an A. So it's mm-hmm. affective. Uh, the idea is that, it's fascinating. There are two types of commitment, largely. One type of commitment is called calculative commitment. It's when we commit to something based on a quick cost-benefit ratio that we do in our head. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this 
you know, is this cheap enough? Is this, you know, does that the features that I want? Is it good enough? Then the other level of, um, of commitment is called effect, affective commitment, which is when we commit to something not based on the calculation. In fact, sometimes even contrary to the cost benefit ratio, right. but because we have an affectation towards something. This is when someone will stick with your service, even though it would be cheaper to go with someone else because they like you. And they feel comfortable with what they've got. This is why people don't tend to want to change their suppliers of various things because they've just grown comfortable with them. Um, and it's just, it's what I like. Um, very often car brands are like this. Um, there's a car brand that we connect to as a child and then we kind of begin to stick to it throughout our life. In fact, there's this um, uh, brand of car that's uh, very popular, particularly in the UK called Land Rover. And what Land Rover do is um, typically the people who buy their cars are kind of upper middle class. And they do this experience where if you're a Land Rover owner, you can make your child's first car driving experience a Land Rover, right? So they're under the legal driving age, but they can go to the Land Rover um, uh, uh, center. They can go onto private land, so it doesn't matter how old you are, and they get to have their very first drive in a Land Rover. <laughs> well, guess which car they want to buy for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. right? as a Land Rover. So that's what we're talking about with this idea of matter is something takes on a great deal of meaning to us. But you can't do that unless something also is so it means, right? It's got to provide the means and it's also going to provide the meaning. So you've got to provide both. It can't just be that's really meaningful, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't empower me in any way, right? So the things that tend to be very meaningful to us also are very empowering to us. Uh, and so that's what we're talking about here. And I mean, I'm saying lots of stuff, so I'm going to yeah, shut up. Yeah, that, so that seems important, but it's also very hazy. So is there a drill in direction we could go there? So, I mean, if we kind of follow, if I go to the farming analogy that we've used a bit, um, you know, we scatter the seed, we gather in the harvest. And the point of a harvest isn't just to sit there, right? It, 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 you use it to do something, right, to matter to people. And in generally... That means turning it into food or something that you trade that you can get income from. The idea is that it's stuff that matters to people, right? This little seed now has become something that nourishes people. And so the matter stage is about how you provide people with things that really matter to them on a a level of which it empowers them to do something they couldn't do before. For instance, if I think of um, probably the most empowering uh, product that has ever existed, which is the you know the the, the mobile phone, the cell phone, mm-hmm. you know smartphones uh, particularly, is they have provided us with the means to do a range of things that were just not available to us before, um, in ways that you know we couldn't think of. Um, they they've made life so simple and convenient, and the number of things that continue to get rolled into them is profound. I mean, they really are a platform for us. Mm-hmm. And of course, using, you know, app stores and things, they've now become a platform for developers as well. The, the, the means that they provide us with is so, so profound. But what's interesting about our smartphones is it's not just the means that they provide us. It's also the meaning. And now we're talking about who am I? Mm-hmm. What kind of person am I? Uh, do I want to have an Apple logo on the back of my phone or a little Android logo on the back of my phone um, or a Samsung logo on the back of my phone? And so now we're kind of talking about the meaning behind it as well um, and this sense of uh, what, what is the bond that I'm forming with this product. So uh, all of this is very ethereal. Um, 
but we can see it kind of you know played out when we think about the brands that we just love right yeah it's 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 kind of easy to point to examples where people nailed it yeah and and they are they are the top brands in the world right no coincidence yeah it's not i mean it's literally the reason why we often point to them as examples is because literally they're the ones who did it and that's why they've grown so and it's the same for communities that you might be a part of it's the same for i mean so we haven't discussed this but i used to be a church pastor so a lot of this stuff that i've learned is I mean, take religion. Well, there you've got an incredible example of people deriving meaning from something in such a powerful, powerful way. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we think about this in terms of how you then as a, a dev shop or a freelancer or a consultant provide this, I, I, I like to think of the question, what does it mean to be a customer of mine? Like, what does it mean to be a customer of mine versus a customer of someone else's? Now, you know, you, I mean, immediately, I think you would be thinking about, okay, what are, what are the intangible benefits and things like that? But what, what does it mean? What is the emotion that I want to provoke in people when they interact with me? Um, and that would be different for different people, mm-hmm. right? So some people, what it means is I know that you look out for me. Whereas other people, uh, if I think of you, um, I'll go, oh, I know that Jonathan's got the insight that I need at the right moment, right? Um, whereas other people, it would be, I know that they, that, 24/7 they're going to be quick to respond to my to my needs. Mm-hmm. And that thing that we do matters so much to someone. Yeah, you you actually listed the examples that I was going to provide if you asked, <laughs> which is oh, yeah. you know, someone who, you know, this is going to be generalizations, but if you're looking for someone who's just going to blow your mind with innovative innovative new product ideas, then you know, maybe that person's core feature is not dependability. Or yeah. that they are available 24 hours a day. So, okay, if you need someone or if you identify with, you're, you know, you're an early adopter, sort of first mover CTO uh, in a fintech startup, some, sometimes you're going to want someone who is just going to change everything with one sentence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think something about mattering requires you to restrain yourself to know what do I do that matters the most. And, and, the, the thing here I like to think of is anything that matters becomes a platform to us because when something matters and we integrate it into our lives, we can build on it, right? That's how useful it becomes. Mm. So if I think about your work, you, and particularly, again, you raised it earlier, what I've learned from you, I think that's been most profound has been cost, price, value, right? And benefit. Mm. And so understanding those words have different meaning. And again, this is really, really simple, but that framework is now a mental model that I have in my mind that then I build my business models on. I build my products and offerings on top of. So the thing about what you do that matters is it becomes a new normal in someone's life. Um, that's what a brand does. When a brand is enriching to us and empowering to us, it becomes the new baseline for us. Um, you know, when, when you choose your smartphone, it becomes the new baseline for you. It, it, it you know, it enhances you in some way. And again, and again, I, you know, whether people agree with it or not, people who are religious, that's what their religion does for them is it creates this new standard, this new platform that serves to now begin to order more of their life for them. So again, the question is, what do you do that matters? I mean, like that really matters. What is your intangible benefit? And then you begin to go big on that. And then you begin to, um, you know, help people integrate that in a practical way into their lives. So something that I do, right, is is I do models. Uh, that's that's my thing. My book is full of models because it's just the way my mind works. But it's the thing that people also tell me has helped them the most. Mm-hmm. Right, a little 
a little thing, a little way of explaining it. So that's what I try to put my time into. Um, I don't podcast. I don't do all the other things that I wish I should be doing and would be great. I just do the thing that I know I'm good at, frameworks, and they really matter. And so I have regularly, I have people writing to me out of the blue saying, hey, you know, I just want to say that, you know, the, the, the Spurs model really helps and I use it. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, like, seriously? But that's the thing that people say. People never say to me, wow, Scott, you know, it was, um, you know, it was your, how personable you were. It was the way that you said this. That helped. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we're leaving people on a massive cliffhanger here. And, th- and so I've got a, a huge question that we probably don't have time to answer really, but I'd like to kind of talk about it a little. Dear listener, you're probably wondering right now, well, how do I figure out what matters? What I, what do I do that matters? What is the thing, as Seth Godin say, what what is the thing that people would miss if I was gone? Mm. What, you know, I, I build WordPress sites. And I know, I know from talking to lots of people that part of the reason they suffer from commodity, a commodity business model and, you know, hourly rates that they can't raise and they feel like they can't make profits on this hamster wheel and the feast famine cycle and all of that is because they, they are positioning themselves as a commodity and think of themselves as a commodity. Yes. Yes. We started off early, way at the beginning with scattering mm. and, and putting your message out there, you know, sprinkling like seeds and, and hoping that some of the seeds fall on fertile ground. But we didn't talk at all about what that message might be. So to bring it kind of this, to bring this cycle all the way back around, it's like, well, okay, I understand, like, I need to, to scatter my messages and gather and, and it needs to matter. But, but what's my message? I just write code, you know, and, and one of the things I've been, I've been doing a couple of different exercises with people. One that, um, one that seems to, to be useful. I don't know if it's, it's too soon to say if it's working, but it's definitely useful. It clicks with some people and I got this from Philip Morgan, is to ask somebody what their pet peeves are about the industry that they work in. Mm. And use and, and this that can just turn into um, a mess. And you, know, it, it, you get a lot of false starts. But I say, give me 10 pet peeves about cybersecurity or 10 pet peeves about Amazon Web Services, because these are things that you deal with. Sure. And they'll come up with 10. And, you know, some of them are very oh, spaces versus tabs flame wards that only yeah. flame wards that only, that would never matter matter to clients yeah but on a couple of occasions now a, a, a one out of the ten one or two out of the ten would pop out that would matter to a client potentially and i'm like oh okay and and as soon as i see it i'm like oh instantly this is this will set you apart from absolutely everybody that's doing what you do if anyone cares which we don't know yet but if any c- clients care about this giant differentiated like all of a sudden you are a, apart from the crowd yeah. So I only tell that story so that to, to perhaps to communicate to you, Scott, what I'm getting at here, like how does somebody go from just being a garden variety, full stack web developer to being different and mattering to not all clients, of course, but to certain types of clients and prospects that could then become, you know, where you can make such a difference in their lives that you become their new normal. Yeah. So I think that's a great question. And it's, it is a real struggle and flip. I, I would be lying if I didn't say I still constantly am wondering what my answers to that question are. Mm. Uh, so I, you know, I, I put my hands up and say, I still think about it. And I don't think perhaps we'd like to admit it, but it also ties into some of our insecurities, particularly when you are self-employed and you are freelancing and you're running your own thing. 
where it where the business ends and where you begin mm -hmm. is very blurry um, because you're selling you um, and that's tough people don't like to talk about it but it, it's a reality what when I uh, am consulting and you know I mean I consult with such a broad range of organizations um, about this stuff I actually don't start with scatter I actually start with matter so I do matter scatter yeah. matter um, and I start because the, the point about like when you've kind of harvested your fruit is when you've eaten some fruit, what have you got in the middle? You've got the seeds. So anything that you scatter has to come from what already matters. Now this creates obviously a kind of chicken and egg thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying not to philosophically get into that, but the point is that you've already done things that matter in your life. Now you might not have done them necessarily for your clients. You probably have, but you, people already can say this stuff to you. So I thoroughly believe it takes a community to see the greatness in us. Uh, my favorite poet, John Donne, said, no man is an island, right? So what I um, help people to do um, often is I get them to just create a simple survey and they ask their existing clients, but they also ask friends and family and they just ask them, what is it that you think that I'm good at? Or what is it that I've done that's mattered to you the most? And you begin to hear these things. And normally when people read them, their heart leaps because they go, that's the stuff I love. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, uh, uh, but then they go, but then why am I trying to sell people the thing that I don't love? Right. And, and, and I'm not saying here that now you ditch that for your ideal because often we've got these ideals that no one cares about but us. But it's the synthesis between what people are saying you do that they love and then how you just begin to work that more and more into what you're doing. So don't, you know, don't crash and burn and start again, but just do a phase transition, uh, begin scattering more about the stuff that matters. Right. And, and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And the thing about mattering is, right, if we take the analogy again of, you know, it's a harvest that people can eat, is I don't know what the food that I've made will mean to you. And that's the reality. With those with the high levels of engagement, people take such ownership, it's not yours anymore. Like Star Wars, before George Lucas sold it, it wasn't his anyway. It belonged to us, right? Yeah, like Harry Potter so, fan fiction. Yeah, that's it. But it belongs to us. It's and that's why people were so irritated when Lucas did things that people didn't like. Right? Is is it, it? It's the world. It's this gift. So very often, the things that you do that you think matter, actually, you don't control that. The people that receive the benefit do, and you've got to ask them. Um, right. And, and so McKinsey, um, again, another analyst and management consulting firm, they say, and I mean, they're talking to you know Fortune 500s now, but they say holding a customer summit as a listening operation is a no regrets move for superior customer engagement. Like you cannot fail mm -hmm. by gathering some people and just listening. And now we're completely back to what you talk about all the time. And I've actually saved many of these in my business planning folder on my computer is you have that really simple formula that you do of, well, what's your value proposition? Well, you just need to ask your clients what you've done that ha that's helped them, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is now when, of course, I guess, you know, the Venn diagram comes complete. And what you're saying is what I'm saying, right? Which is ask people and you'll be amazed at what you do that matters to them that you just think is normal. You think it's obvious, but mm -hmm. actually it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely true. So I'm going to, we, we, again, we've got to wrap up. <laughs> this is perhaps the longest episode ever, but I love it. This has been super great. Oh, I'm uh, really glad to hear that because I, I was pretty darn nervous. <laughs> no, no, no. This is fabulous. This is, this is, it's given me a lot of clarity on things that I do every single day. It's like the, it's like explaining the water to the fish. It's very, very helpful to me. I hope it's been helpful yeah. to, to people who are listening. Uh, I'm also going to link to, I'm going to look to a ton of things in the show notes 
uh, including Scott's book, obviously, but um, also things for uh, some Joe Pine resources. Who's you turned me on to Joe uh, probably a year ago, and it's just great stuff. Uh, the Sally Hogshead yep, link, yep. and also I'm going to link to a to a an old blog post of mine that that will help the, you, dear listener, uh, reach out to past clients in a way that doesn't feel awkward or clumsy and will get you the answer to these questions. It's basically, you know, just send out an email to your past clients, say, hey, I'm updating my website. Could I ask you a couple of questions about the work we did together? And then, and then if they say yes, here are the questions you should ask them. It's super simple. You know, not everyone will have time to get back to you, but no one will be ticked off by it. I mean, it's a completely normal thing to ask. And you can just take these words and use them. It's, there's nothing to think about and you will be blown away what you get back because, you know, as, as Scott just concluded there, stuff that to you is just taken for granted is, is mind blowing to your, your clients. And if you talk about that and scatter that, the benefit, then you're just going to be talking, you're just be playing a completely different game than, than you were or anybody else is. So it's great. It's good for everyone. I'm going to be checking that out right away as well. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right, folks. So uh, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join us again next time for Ditching Hourly. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about how to ditch hourly billing, please go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free email course. Again, that URL is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Thanks. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.